I'm former Congressman Gary Franks. And I'm his son, Gary. I'm millennial. We're discussing everything from politics to sports and pop culture. From very different perspectives. We speak frankly. My number nine, I think you're going to have him higher since I haven't heard you say his name yet. And that is the guy who I consider to be the greatest white basketball player ever to put on sneakers. And that is the great Larry Bird. We've talked about him in the past as an individual that would actually have his picture up in some black barber shops around the least Atlantic coast area. Larry Bird, I can't even say he was the greatest Celtic, however, because I do have some other I have another individual who is in the top five that would be the greatest Celtic of all time. But needless to say, a very special player. Three NBA titles. Twice he was MVP of the finals. Rookie of the year. Three-time NBA most valuable player. 12-time All-Star winning an All-Star MVP award as well. And nine times he was first team All-NBA. One time he was second team All-NBA. Career scoring average was, you may have that, Gary, but I think it was about 27 points. A game. No, it wasn't that high. It was 24. 24 points a game. Yeah, great numbers. Uh, obviously, there are other folks who have numbers that would be more impressive. But he shared the ball. He did everything necessary to win a game. He was a dominant player from the perspective of he could talk trash and back it up. And he was not, he was fearless. He, nothing was too imposing to, to uh, Larry Bird, maybe except for Michael Jordan. I don't think anything really rattled this guy because he just always did what was necessary, whether it be uh, to take the ball to the basket, make the great pass, grab the rebound, bring the ball down the court take the 25-foot jump shot. He did. He knew what to do at the time in which something needed to be done, and he did it. No one imagined that this guy from Indiana would end up being, I think, as great as he ended up being, except for a guy by the name of Red Allback, who at the time was general manager of the Celtics. And he, uh, yeah, he saw the game between Michigan State and Indiana State and that, you know, the, that the big rivalry between, between uh, Maddie Johnson and Larry Bird in college. But to perform as well as he did during his NBA career, it, it was just something to see. It was a, it was a great thing to see because he, uh, he truly was one of a kind. Shot about 50% from the field, about 89, 90% from the foul line, grabbed about 10 rebounds a game. So he averaged a double-double while still getting about 6.3 assists a game, which for a, a guy 6'9", you just don't see that, obviously. Magic did better, but from that perspective, but he played forward and he got a good number of steals. In fact, two times, I think he led the NBA in steals. Great player. And I have him at number nine, as far as being one of the greatest basketball players in the history of the game. Let me add something real quick to it. I actually have Larry Bird at seven. So you're going through my list as well. I think Larry Bird probably had the best prime years in modern NBA history because you know, from, I believe, 1981 until about 1987, he either oh, won wow. the MVP or finished second. <laughs> so, he was, so he was always up for the MVP yeah, award when yeah. he was healthy before the back injuries. So I agree with everything you said. 
he got the most he, out of his and he, and he made his he made his teammates so better too. Yeah. Kevin said. McHale was a much better player than anyone ever thought. But I think that if he hadn't played for the Celtics, we wouldn't have seen that. Kevin McHale, I should say, and Parrish, the seven foot center. You know, he he made him better as well. He made all of his teammates better. Dennis Johnson, he made people better on his team, and he had a certain chip on his shoulder that truly intimidated a lot of the NBA teams. Now, obviously, things started to change as the years went by with the bad boy Pistons, et cetera, et cetera, and his battles with Magic. But still, the Celtics, they were the Celtics. When they walked down the court, you expected them to win. Well, that was actually the toughest. And again, this is why, you know, I'm going to go back to my number eight real quick. This is why I have Bird ahead of LeBron for now. If LeBron wins the championship, it completely changes everything. But Larry Bird played in the toughest Eastern Conference probably ever. If you look at the Detroit Pistons, the Atlanta Hawks, you know, they had Spud Webb and they had Dominique Wilkins. Obviously, Michael was coming up during that time. The 76ers in the early 80s. The Milwaukee Bucks with Sidney Moncrief. So, you know, there was a lot of teams that the Boston Celtics had to beat to get to the finals every single year, which makes Bird's trips to me more valuable than LeBron's eight mm-hmm. trips or another player's trips because he had to, he had to beat no, you're right. teams you're each right. time right. just to get It was there. a very, each very round. tough Eastern Conference. So we're not too far off on Larry Bird. You have him a little higher than I have him, but top 10, no question. <laughs> it's just no question. And I, <laughs> yeah. yeah now, now my number eight, you've already done your eight. So let me do, do my number eight. And once again, this is the generational guy that you have not been able to uh, appreciate as much as I have appreciated him because I grew up trying to be like this guy and obviously fell miserably short. But he, uh, at one time, was the best guard that ever played the game. And obviously, times have changed. But the great Oscar Robinson, better known as the Big O, is my number eight person on the list. Once again, as I mentioned in a prior show years ago, he would be mentioned in the top five without any question whatsoever. So I feel as though you're shortchanging him by not having him in the top 10. Is a Once again, it was a dagger in my heart. But I wore number 14 because Oscar wore number 14. And, you know, so I, I just, he was, he was it for me. He was, I know he changed his number to number one when he went to Milwaukee. But most of his career in college, I think high school, college, as well as in the NBA, yeah, he wore number 14. Walked into the NBA almost immediately, won the MVP award, Rookie of the Year award. Uh, one title, but back then, Gary, it was Cincinnati Royals. They they played to play 500 basketball. I mean, it was, yeah, he had Jerry Lucas, a great basketball player, Hall of Famer, but no one else. I mean, you, you can't even start to name anybody on the team. Maybe I think they had Happy Harrison for a short, short period of time. But it's it's hard to even think of a player that was on that team. I know you can't because from a generational perspective. But let me tell you, there weren't any good players on that team. And Oscar carried them. Six times he led the NBA in assists, which is pretty remarkable as well. And, Gary, six times he averaged over 30 points a game. Now, I know it's overall great. The scoring average is 25.7, or shooting about 50% from the field and 30, 84% from the foul line. But six times he averaged over 30 points a game. Just absolutely remarkable. I'm not sure who, how many other players, obviously Will Chamberlain, but how many other players could say that 
And from the day he walked into the NBA, he was averaging 30 points a game, 10 rebounds a game, 10 assists a game. So he was averaging a triple-double, literally, when you round things off, from the moment he walked into the NBA. His second year in the NBA was even better than that. He averaged 30, almost 31 points a game, getting 12.5 rebounds a game, and getting 11.4 assists a game. Just incredible numbers. Many years averaging triple-doubles, which is just, you know, we, we got all hyped up and excited about Westbrook doing it one time. Oscar made it a habit and shot at just a phenomenal percentage, always over 80-something percent from the free throw line. Yes, the scoring average went down when he got towards his latter years because he, he was not the scorer then. He was the guy who was the floor general. He, he did not, you know, dominate the game anymore. He didn't make all the great passes and for people to score. They actually ran plays, and he went through running the plays. So sometimes he passed the ball, set a screen which you don't get any credit for setting a screen, and then someone else would get a score. Or they would manipulate it so that Kareem Abdul-Jabbar at the time, Lou Alcindor, would be able to get a close and dunk shot, but it would take two or three passes, and he wouldn't get an assist for it. So in the latter years, he only averaged 6.4 assists a game, 7.5 assists a game, but yet his overall career assist record is about 10 because of the fact that he was giving up a lot of his game in order to make the other players better. And he made people like Bobby Dandridge, who was on that team, a much better player. So for all of those reasons, I have the big O as the eighth greatest basketball player ever to put on a uniform. You want to go to your number seven, Gary? Well, I already mentioned oh, my number okay. seven. My number seven was That's Larry right. Bird. So I'm going to let you do your number seven as well. I have nothing to add to Oscar Robinson. Um, like I said earlier, uh, it was very hard for me from 11 to 8. They're all very interchangeable. You know, I understand why I have Oscar there. I'm not upset about it at all. Okay, okay. Um, so that's why I now, have to say. my number 7, and I thought that I could move him up higher, but that's where he would belong in my from my analysis and from watching him play and to see the magic that he was able to perform on the court. It would be... The Magic Man, Irvin Johnson. I have huh? Irvin Johnson, yeah, Irvin Magic yeah, Johnson, yeah. as we all know him, as number seven. And when you think of the greatest players and, and the, right. who ever played played a game, and you think of players that have truly revolutionized the game, the name Magic has to come up. A more entertaining player, I mean, he made the Lakers showtime, and he was a player who did not care about scoring 30 points a game. Didn't care about that. Didn't even think about it, quite frankly. And he was like that in college. He did what was necessary to win. And in college, he got the better of Larry Bird. Now his team was better, but still. And they won the national championship. And in, in the NBA, he had good players around him. It's not like he had a bunch of bozos playing with him. He had some very, very solid players around him. But the way that he made each and every one of those players better than they would have been normally was just amazing. I mean, he had years in which he averaged 13 assists a game. <laughs> and, you know, it's just, just an incredible number of assists. That's 13 is a whole lot of assists. And let me tell you, they were real assists. They were they were like, uh, he would look one way behind the back. I mean, it was just, it was showtime. They won five titles, but he played three 
times he was the MVP of, of the final. Three times he won the MVP award, matching Larry Bird. Twelve times he was an All-Star. Twice he was MVP of the All-Star game. Nine times he was first team All-NBA. And one time he was second team. Led the league in assists four times. Led the league in steals two times. I'm kind of amazed at it. I don't see him making the all-defensive team. But um, I guess they had, the competition was pretty stiff. Scoring-wise, he averaged about 20 points a game, 19.5 career scoring average, shooting 52% from the field, 85% from the free throw line. But as I mentioned before, it was a double-double. He averaged 11.2 assists a game and 7.2 rebounds a game. So he, he did what was necessary, at times even playing center, but the poster player for big point guards. Because he was 6'9". And back in the day, in the 60s, you just you, it was incredible. If you were 6'9", back in the 50s and 60s, and even the 70s, you were not bringing the ball up. It's just that simple. You were not bringing the ball up. They were not going to let you have the ball upon taking the ball out of bounds. Magic changed, changed all of that, revolutionized the game, then the point guard role. Was not the greatest shooter. Shot about 30% from three. And that's when he was so wide open that, you know, he had to take the shot. But number seven is where he would fall on my list. Wish I could put him up higher, but that's where he would fall. Well, that just showed the difference between my list and your list is you do not promote winning as much as you should. But, um, oh, okay. Yeah, I disagree do you have, strongly. Do you have him in your time? Maddie's in my top wow. five. So I don't even understand. Yeah, so I'm. I'm extremely surprised by that, but I'm going to do my number six because my number six is, no, you don't appreciate Tim Duncan. Tiny Tim. Oh. Tiny Tim (laughs) is number six. And look, I was not a huge Tim Duncan fan. I was not. I was, you know, when it came to the power forward position, I was a Kevin Garnett fan. But Tim Duncan has the third most wins in NBA history. Tim Duncan, besides the lockout year, his team won 50 games every single year. Without, you know, we mentioned David Robinson earlier. David Robinson does not have his two rings without Tim Duncan. David Robinson may not even be as high as we have him. I believe we had him in the 20s. He would not even be that high if it wasn't for Tim Duncan. Tim Duncan's second year in the league, he won the whole thing. Tim Duncan's a five-time champion. He lost that one finals to the Miami Heat when Ray Allen hit that dagger three. But really, it was game seven that really hurt me the most because I was cheering you know, against LeBron. And Tim Duncan missed a bunny hook shot that cost his team the game in that game seven. But even at that time, Tim Duncan should get more credit for the fact that not just he's the greatest power forward ever. So that's, that's the first thing. On my list, if you are the best to ever do it at a position, you got to be higher in the list. The second thing is that Tim Duncan was probably the best passing power forward in NBA history. Obviously, he was really known for his fundamentals, so he didn't, you know, he, let's be honest, he couldn't jump. But that's what allowed Tim Duncan to play so long in his career because he had to outsmart a lot of players to get into the right positions to be able to block shots and all those things. Tim Duncan is fifth all-time on the blocks list. And Tim Duncan is sixth all-time on the rebounding list. So I'm just going to say right now, the reason why I don't have Tim Duncan higher is because Tim Duncan could not Mm -hmm. take over games like the other guys. 
Tim Duncan would be the guy, you know, that would get you 25 and 12, but Tim Duncan would very rarely get you 40 points. That just, you know, that wasn't really his game. But the fact that he was able to win at such a high level, only losing one finals appearance, if he did not lose that finals in 2013, he will have the same record as Michael Jordan in the NBA finals. So for that reason, I'm going to put Tim Duncan in new Hall of Fame. Okay. Tim Duncan. Okay. As you know, I don't have Tim Duncan in my top 10. And the way I look at my top 10, Gary, I, I look at one thing. Not, not, I look at a number of factors, you know, to disqualify Tim out of the top 10, you know, I, his, his average was even, not that scoring is everything, but his career average was about 19 points a game. His shooting, okay, he shot 50%. He's seven feet tall. Okay, fine. Shot about 18% from the three-point line. But then again, he's seven foot, so no big deal. And he shot really poor, under 70% from the free throw line. And so those are not good numbers. His 10.8 assists. I mean, rebounds is fine. Three assists, that's not really great numbers. And I would say to myself, would I really go through a snowstorm to see Tim Duncan play, even in his prime? And the answer is no. Would I go through a snowstorm to see Kevin Durant? Yes. Would I go through a snowstorm to see? Yes. Would I go through a snowstorm to see Oscar during his prime? Yes. Would I go through a snowstorm to see Magic Johnson? Yes. And the other people on my list? Yes. I would go through a snowstorm to see those guys. I wouldn't go outside. On a, on a, on a pleasant day, I, I wouldn't break my neck to see a Tim Duncan game. Just wouldn't do it. He was just so ordinary to me. When you see his numbers, 13 points a game, 15 points a game, 17 points a game, those are his averages. Everyone could blow him away as far as the numbers are concerned. He had one of the greatest coaches in the history of the game coaching him and he had a great team all the time and his team knew how to win they knew how to win he had the best six man in the nba for almost every year i can't think of his name off the top of my head but he wanted almost talk about manager Ginobili. i have so much he to had say one of the he had one this, of the best this point is totally not true and a guy by the name okay. of Parker. he had he had leonard on his team he, he had robinson on his team the guy who was the admiral who guy was a instant hall of famer so he's had all of this, all of this other help, all these other players, and he played. He played in a style that was just robotic. He was a robot. You know, he got the ball, did it, boom. That was. But you can't knock the fact that he did win games. I'm not going to knock that. But would I go through a snowstorm to see him play? No, I'm not going to see anything that I can't, that I haven't seen before. I'm gonna, I'm gonna see something unusual and very special if I went to a game during Magic Johnson's prime. I'm going to go home and I'm going to be able to talk about that. I'm going to be able to go home and say something about Larry Bird after going to that game. I'll be able to go over and be able to say something about that. I'll be able to say something about Kevin Durant if I went to one of his games. I'll be able to say something about that. Any of my top 10 guys, and that's including Shaq, I would be able to make a comment about. And after a Tim Duncan game, there's nothing you could say. He's like, oh, what did Tim get? Oh, he got 17 points, he got nine rebounds, and he got three assists. Okay, was he the leading scorer in the game? No, he wasn't. I don't think in many of the games that he played, he wasn't even the leading scorer. Gary. That's not true. Yeah, it is. Look at look at his averages. And let me debunk. But look at all of his scoring averages. I'm gonna debunk all this right now. Tim Duncan, right during the years when he was winning, all the years he was winning, right in 1999, Tim Duncan averaged in the postseason 23 points and 11 rebounds. 
2003, he averaged 25 points and 15 rebounds. In 2005, he averaged 24 points and 12 rebounds. In the year when he won the championship, in 2003, he averaged four blocks a game. So what you're looking at, you're not looking at the right things. From 1999 to 2003, that San Antonio Spurs team did not have Tony Parker in his prime. That was Tim Duncan's team. Manu Ginobili was not, I believe he wasn't there, and if he was, he was not that player at that time. David Robinson could not get over the hump before Tim Duncan got there. And Greg Popovich, I'm going to say, Alvin Pop would be a Hall of Fame coach if Tim Duncan was not there. Tim Duncan changed the entire thing for the San Antonio Spurs. The Spurs made the playoffs, I believe, 20, what, 21, 22 straight times because of Tim Duncan. They were basically the New England Patriots of the NBA. No, Tim I got, Duncan I, deserves more. I have, I have met I I have met. He was very robotic. But the most important thing about Tim Duncan, and you know, you brought up his numbers down in his last three or four years. And this is what you were giving Wilt Chamberlain credit for earlier. Tim Duncan changed his game because he realized he wasn't the star of the team anymore, but he still wanted to win games. And that's something that I give him a lot of credit for because unlike with Wilt, Wilt was averaging 30 and 23 points a game before he even got to the Lakers the year before. The San Antonio Spurs, it was clear that they were trying to make the team. It was still Tim's team, but it was clear that they were starting to make it Kawhi's team. And Tim Duncan was able to take a back seat and was still able to lead the team and win another championship while doing so. That's very impressive to me because a lot of these other players we're going to mention, they have big egos. And Tim, Tim Duncan does not have one, which shows his intangibles as a leader. Okay. Which is very okay, important to me. Also, know that in Tim's last 12 years, last 12 years in the NBA, once he scored 20 points a game. That's not in fair. Last because 12, that's a fact, though, Gary. Right? The year after, he averaged 19.8. In 2009, he averaged 19.8. In 2010, well, he averaged 19.8. Starting in 2006, he was 18.6. 2007, he did average 20. 20 on the button. I'm yeah. sorry, that was the playoffs. Yeah. I apologize. You have- yeah, you have, the, you have the playoffs. 19 points, 18 yeah. points, no, 18 no, no, points. No, no, no. I, I, basically I always, 20 points a game. I would round up. And in those years, I want to say one more thing, too. In, mm-hmm. in those years, too, Pop was limiting these guys' minutes. You are absolutely so right. Tim Duncan was only playing 33, 31, 29 minutes. So you got to add that in as well. When we were just talking about Wilt playing 40 yeah, and a half I, minutes, look. If Tim Duncan would have played 35, 36 minutes, his numbers will be about the same. Because if you look at the numbers earlier, no the argument year, there. They he were about definitely the same played less minutes. With those but minutes. it also means, to, to a certain degree, he was less valuable as well. Because they were able to get 20 more minutes out of, of other players to help them win games. He, you're right. He only played 28 minutes in, in some games. His average in minutes played was like 34, 34, 33, 31, 28. But that meant they didn't need him. For the most part, Garrett. But that's not what they. No, they were very. That's not what the Spurs were doing. Players. With the Spurs, they wanted to have a deep enough bench, so if guys got in foul trouble, if guys got injured, those guys were able yeah. to step in and be able to play well. Because on those teams, yeah. Tiago Splitter would play twenty-five minutes a game. No, we Garrett, all know Tiago Splitter is not playing twenty-five minutes. I'm agreeing with you, but the thing is, it just shows you <laughs> so that Pop was a good coach, and that he he knew what he was doing as far as getting the maximum out of his players. And he did something that was far different from all other coaches. 
Other coaches have people playing 40 minutes, 39 minutes. He didn't do that. He said, nope, we're going to have a bench. We're going to be able to endure anyone going down and still win games. He was a good coach. He was one of the best coaches in the NBA. And so that, that helped Tim Duncan. But because of Tim Duncan and not having no, the I agree. helped that process. I agree. It, yeah, I think as far as attitude, Tim Duncan had probably been one the of the best. That's, that's why I'll never forget this scene. When the referee called a technical on Tim Duncan for looking at him. I said, what? <laughs> and Tim was like, I didn't say anything. He still, he still teed him up. And Tim was like, what did I, I didn't say anything. And after they interviewed the referee, he said, I don't like the way he looked at me. <laughs> because Tim Duncan would not very, very, very rarely say anything that would warrant a technical. I don't think he got, he probably had the fewest number of technicals of any player that played that as long as he played. He just, he wasn't that kind of guy. He just was so even killed. You had to admire him. You didn't know whether or not the Spurs were up by 20 or down by 20 because he looked the same and he played exactly the same no matter what. And so uh, I agree with you there. He, he was he, he was a special player, Gary. I mean, I mean, I have him at twelve, which is not an embarrassment. It's just that I cannot, I cannot no, put him up any. I cannot put him any higher. Now, who do we have? He's, he's a great best, player, he's the best power forward. Uh, but I, I couldn't mm -hmm. put him up any higher. I've done Shaquille O'Neal at ten, Larry Bird at nine, Oscar at eight, Magic at seven, and number six for me. And we'll end on this one, Gary, because we're going to do the final five last. And this individual is very special. And another person that I wish I could get higher on my list. But when you look at the five that I have in the, in the final five, the top five, he just does not make it there. And that is the, the, the late but great Kobe Bryant. Oh, you gotta be kidding me! You have LeBron so, James. So we'll come back. All right, we'll discuss that, but, but with with, with uh, LeBron, <sighs> but Kobe, very special guy, and it's it's sad the way and tragic the way that he's left us, and uh, along with the death of his daughter, great basketball player, and a great father, left this earth far too soon. What can you say? He started, came straight out of high school, and and. and you know, slow start, but he was 18 years old. Ratcheted up his game very quickly. As a basketball player, uh, a great one. Five times he won an NBA title. On two of those occasions, he was the MVP of the finals. Only one MVP award, only one NBA MVP award, but uh, would truly deserve more than that. I mean, one year he led the NBA in scoring, scoring about 35 points a game and was not the MVP which is, yeah, we'll go back to that, come back to that a little later, possibly. Kobe was an 18-time All-Star. That may be a record. Now, granted, he came straight from high school and into the NBA, and granted, he did not have uh, years in which he would have missed or departed the NBA for period of time in, in, in baseball, <laughs> as one person who's on our list did. 18 times is a lot. And four times in the All-Star game, he was MVP. Four times. 02, 07, 09, 11. Speaking of 11, 11 times he was on the first team All-NBA. Two times on the second team, two times on the third team. So 
15 times he was either first team, second team, or third team All-NBA. Even more impressive, because I like guys who score a lot of points, but also play defense. Nine times he was on the first team All-Defensive team for the NBA. And three times he was second team All-Defense. Two-time scoring champion, unlike a lot of players of his caliber, actually performed in the slam dunk contest. And yeah, he won it. Great player. Wish I could put him into the top five like you would have him, Gary. But when I look at my top five, there's there's um, a lot of competition there. Overall scoring average, about 25 points a game was his career scoring average, shooting 50% from the field and 79% from the foul line, 32% from the three-point line, five assists, about five rebounds a game. He was a shooting guard, but you know he did get his share of assists as well. Three times he averaged over 30 points a game, with his best being 35.4, as I mentioned earlier. Teamed up with another person on the top 10, that being uh, the great Shaquille O'Neal, and, and they, they, they had magic. I shouldn't use the word magic since that's another Laker, but they performed great feats together, even though at times they didn't get along. And that, that controversy was uh, somewhat legendary as well. Kobe Bryant, Great player. Dubious distinction of having taken more shots than anyone else in the, in the history of the NBA. But then again, he started when he was just out of high school and had a very long and productive career. So I have Kobe Bryant as number six. And Gary, are you going to make comments on Kobe at this point or he's in your top five? I, well, yeah, he's in my top five. And you missed a whole lot of, a whole lot of things about Kobe Bryant. Okay, so we'll... I will... So you have Kobe in your top five. So people are going to be able to figure out after hearing our show uh, over the last several weeks, who would be in our top five respectively, because we didn't miss anybody. And we know these five players, everyone would agree, should be in the top 50. The question is, where should they fall in the top 50? And you can see already from a generational perspective, there are significant differences what can be deemed as surprises already. We will give you a recap of 50 all the way to five, and then we will do the top five. Our list is based on individuals who played from 1960 to the present. However, if you were drafted after 2012, you are not included in this evaluation. So you will not see Giannis on this list. So if you're thinking that Giannis is going to end up in our top five, he will not. Come back next week and see who would fall. Five, four, three, two, one. Thank you. Don't forget to subscribe.